BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to the Bill Press Pod Reporters Roundtable. I'm Jason Dick, the Editor-in-Chief at CQ and Roll Call, sitting in for Bill here in Washington, D.C. It's about 8.30 in the morning on August 18th. It's been a busy week. Former President Donald Trump was indicted in Fulton County, Georgia this week, along with 18 co-conspirators. This is a more sprawling indictment than the previous ones, and we're still digesting what comes next. Meanwhile, in Iowa, Republican presidential candidates poured into the Iowa State Fair. But does it even really matter much anymore? The last few competitive caucus winners did not win their respective nominations. Just ask Presidents Cruz, Buttigieg, Sanders, and Santorum. But there is a debate that they're all previewing uh, that will be coming up next week. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the fair. Uh, lots to go around for there. This week also marked the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act and provided Democrats with a chance to talk Bidenomics and take it on the road, specifically to Wisconsin. Is anyone listening? Hmm, debatable. Uh, and more abortion developments. Last week, it was an Ohio ballot initiative. This week, it was the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals upholding restrictions on the abortion pill, Mifepristone. And Senator Kirsten Sinema waded into the abortion-related standoff between Senator Tommy Tuberville and the U.S. military. Here to discuss these topics and more are Amanda Becker, Washington correspondent for the 19th News, and just back from her year at Harvard as a prestigious Neiman Fellow. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Sarah Weyer, Justice Department and National Security and Washington accountability reporter for the Los Angeles Times. She's focused on January 6th and extremism. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. And my colleague at CQ Roll Call, John Bennett, where he's an editor-at-large and analysis columnist and writer of the CQ Afternoon Briefing. Good morning, John. Good morning, Jason. So, Sarah, let's start with you. Uh, <laughs> your beat seems perhaps tailored for this moment in our history. Uh, let's go through just quickly why the Georgia, the Fulton County, uh, Georgia, uh, indictment uh, is is a little different than others. And before you before you start, I, uh, we have a little bit of audio from Fonnie Willis, who's the Fulton County DA, announcing the indictment somewhat late at night on Monday night. Today, a Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment, charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. And, and Sarah, it's not just a few individuals here and there. It's a former president of the United States, a former White House chief of staff, a former mayor of New York City, and on and on. Let's talk about why this one's different than the previous three. I mean, really, I think you've hit on what's so different is she outlined such a broad conspiracy. I mean, we're talking about 19 defendants. Um, this is the first indictment where a lot of the underlings, the people who actually implemented the plan, have been charged with a crime. Um, and we saw, you know, this ranges everything from the fake electors plan to, uh, 
you know, all the way to the breach in Coffee County, Georgia. And because she's uh, bringing them in under racketeering charges or RICO charges, um, you know, she can connect all of these dots. You know, the Georgia case is different because, you know, as a state level case, the, you know, if Trump were to become reelected, you know, he can't, you know, interfere or, you know, pardon himself. Um, and also, just the again the extent of these these charges are something that we haven't really seen from the special counsel. It doesn't mean that the special counsel might not be considering some of these charges, but I think he focused on bringing you know just charges against Trump and some possibly uh, you know unnamed conspirators. But you know, we could see some of the things included in the Georgia indictment down the line in other cases from the special counsel. And John. And one thing that's uh, kind of fascinating about RICO, you know, cases too, is that there is an incentive for people to cooperate early. Uh, the people who cooperate uh, early the most uh, usually get the sweeter deal. And if you're the last person standing, uh, it, it all it all supposed you know kind of heads towards one point, and this point is is most obviously people like Trump. Um, this puts a lot of pressure on people who, I mean, we're already seeing signs that p- their people are having trouble paying their legal bills, even with all these super PACs raising money to cover their lawyers. Yeah, I and mean, there's a report that uh, Rudy Giuliani went to Mar-a-Lago earlier this year, uh, I guess with his attorney, and um, let's say requested that that Donald Trump pay his legal uh, his, his legal bills and all of this, and uh, it doesn't seem like uh, Mr. Giuliani, you know, got he certainly didn't get any agreement in writing that that Trump would do that. But you know, this is going to put you know think about um, individuals here like Will Nada and um, uh, the IT director at at Mar-a-Lago. Um, you know, these aren't people who are are wealthy like Mr. Trump keeps telling us he is. We're not sure how wealthy he really is or how liquid he is. Um, but certainly Will Nada, who, you know, was career Navy and and got out of uh, the service to 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 go uh, to be Trump's personal valet in his post presidency. You know, he's he can't afford this. So uh, this is going to put and that and that to your point uh, creates an incentive uh, to cooperate with prosecutors. And, you know, Will Nada was around for a lot of things. He was carrying bags and opening doors and delivering Diet Cokes through a lot of this. So, you know, how long will he hold out? I noticed the other day that that he was right there beside Mr. Trump um, in Iowa. So, you know, this is going to create uh, problems for, for Trump, I think, down the road as we get deeper into these uh, these cases, and this is going to go on for for a long time. Um, and you know, not as in the in the classified documents case in Florida, and you know that's going to be a really complicated trial. Do the juror? Do all the jurors have to get security clearances? All the lawyers, um, you know, everybody who's going to be in the courtroom, are they going to have to get security clearances? Because you, you can't not talk about these documents. So, um, at what point does Mister Nada, you know, throw his hands up and say? You know, I, I just can't afford this. I'm, I'm going to cooperate with Mr. Smith and 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 the DA in Georgia and, and so on. And Amanda, one of the things that we saw. Oh, by the way, welcome back from your fellowship. Uh, slow news uh, year <laughs> that you missed. 
And yet, in uh, some ways, everything still seems about like where it was when I left. <laughs> it is. The more things change. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we saw with, you know, as, as soon as the indictment was released in Georgia was that, I mean, in, in Georgia, there are, uh, you know, the, the, the names of grand jurors, the names of, of potential jurors are, are, are made public. We almost immediately saw uh, online threats uh, to... to um, to, to them, there's the, the judge overseeing the case in D.C. has been threatened. Uh, someone's already been charged with that threat. I mean, like this uh, this situation where people are, you know, continually threatened uh, for, you know, participating in the legal process. Um, you know, th- this is just, you know, a, an added layer of kind of complication and, and danger. Yeah, I mean, and in Georgia, it really reflects a very similar dynamic to the election workers that were threatened by kind of the same universe of people. Um, you know, some of them, some of the women um, who worked the polls in Georgia and helped with that election were on, and you know, up here last year testifying about that and about what that experience was like and the threats that they were getting. Um, you know, women disproportionately work in the electoral system in to run our elections in Georgia. It's a lot of black women and women of color. Um, and a lot of those women are being threatened right now. I mean, look at look at what the the judge is getting from people, and you know the optics of this are just different in some ways. And Sarah, you've you know you've been covering a lot. I mean, not just of, of this uh, this these set of indictments and 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 potential trials and so forth, but I mean when the justice system writ large and and the justice department specifically. If anyone else was threatening a judge or you know, or sending out, you know, like sort of these cryptic messages to their followers to, uh, you know, fight like hell and so forth, they typically end up in prison. Right. But this is a little different. Yeah. I mean, typically this would be seen as a violation of their bond agreement. And, you know, some people have really questioned, you know, how and when the judges in these various cases are going to have to put the hammer down. We saw this in the uh, D.C. 2020 election case um, at his arraignment. The judge was very firm, uh, or in one of the subsequent hearings, the judge was very firm with his lawyers, um, stressing that, you know, she's going to be watching his public statements very closely. And she will, you know, maintain the uh, the decorum of the court and that if his statements cross the line, it's going to push the trial date forward. Um, you know, the, the special prosecutor wants the trial to start in January. Trump's legal team wants the trial to start in you know, April, 2026. <laughs> um, Why not 2027? Right? Um, but you know, there's a massive amount of, of discovery they have to pour through. And so they want to take as much time as possible in, in delaying this. But, you know, the former president's own statements could end up being a roadblock to him getting the time he feels he needs for a fair defense. Speaking of which, John, uh, one of the things that we saw yesterday was that, uh, you know, Trump had been saying that he was going to have this press conference on Monday and he would reveal the, the you know, with irrefutable truth, you know, the the fraud in the in the Georgia election. Uh, and then, um, you know, like this is a uh, per- perhaps just a page out of the Mike Lindell, the pillow guy uh, playbook, um, you know, that he's got he's got this he's got this report and he was going to reveal it. And then what happened? Well, last night, uh, Trump announced that he will not 
hold his Monday press conference to deliver the the irrefutable facts. I'm using quote fingers. The listeners can't hear that. Um, <laughs> and his attorneys have informed him that they would rather uh, introduce the quote indisputable facts um, as part of the legal process. So, um, you know, he he had teased us with, you know, more of what he says is proof that the election was stolen in Georgia and Arizona and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan and so on. Uh, so I guess now uh, we will we, we will hear some of that in in these court cases, especially the Georgia case. But I would I would assume other places, uh, some of these other cases or all the other cases as well. And uh, the first thing, Jason, I thought about uh, was uh, Todd Ruger, our legal editor and his his very talented team. And uh, they finally catch a break here and they they don't have to sift through uh, everything that Mr. Trump was, was going to lay out on Monday. Um, but, uh, those guys have been doing a great job as, as everybody who's, I think covered this in the media. Um, so, uh, finally the legal teams catch a break. <laughs> um, and, and Amanda, I, I just, I can't help but think that, you know, when, I mean, you, you as, as you noted, like, you know, things feel very much the same. Um, but you know, one of the things that, you know, you, you, one of the, that you were, had the pleasure of, you know, sort of being around at your Neiman fellow was people from around the world. Uh, these weren't just journalists from the United States. What was like, there had to have been some conversation as these sort of legal battles were, were, you know, kind of drawing out, what was the general vibe there? Like what, what, how do people, you know, who observe for a living in other parts of the world that you're exposed to, how are they looking at the situation that was unfolding when, when you guys were, you know, it was, when it was just you, just the, the, the you guys, you know, sitting around in the, in the library, you know, at the, at the Neiman Center? Um, I will say that the international fellows who were the most interested about this and who I talked to a lot um, had their own leaders who shared um, personality traits and qualities with former President Trump. So think India, Turkey, um, you know, there's just a level of fascination that this is happening in the United States and that it could be happening in the United States. Cause I think people from other parts of the world, um, look to us as kind of a more functional, um, democracy. And then, um, they're finding out that that's really not the case in a lot of ways. And so there were many late night discussions. And of course, in exchange, I learned a lot about, um, you know, prime minister Modi, for example, in exchange. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it really kind of was an interesting time. I will say um, I rarely actually went to any kind of politics or government events when I was up there. Um, and most of um, the international fellows did. And I finally just had to explain, like, look, I'm doing this in part to get away from all this. I can't go to all <laughs> these talks at night. <laughs> um, so, yeah, th there was a very high level of interest and just um, intrigue, I guess, about kind of what how did, where did things go wrong in the United States? And Sarah, speaking of uh, what could possibly, what could go wrong or how it came, went wrong, <clears throat> the Iowa State Fair uh, started <laughs> earlier this month. Uh, and in addition to people just being able to ride uh, amusement rides and, and see Slipknot in concert and, and so forth, uh, it's an opportunity for uh, candidate political candidates to go on the stump and hang out. Very Republican vibe this year. Uh, the, I mean, obviously the Democrats don't have a particularly competitive uh, race for the primary. Uh, Donald Trump has a number of potential 
uh, uh, opponents, and they've all been in Iowa. He was in Iowa himself. Uh, but it, you know, the, what was what was your sense of you know, like the, the, we didn't really see a lot of attacking of Trump, you know, with as this legal stuff was unfolding, even as these folks had their their chance to to sort of talk on the stump. I mean, even Mike Pence obviously is in, in the middle of a, a lot of this, but this wasn't uh, th- this wasn't topic a one necessarily at, at, among a lot of these Republican candidates in Iowa. No, it was particularly notable that they didn't take an opportunity to use his legal challenges against him. Um, you know, we've we've heard on the stump a lot of talk about you know maybe some places where they differ a little bit politically. Um, some people are trying to position themselves as you know I would follow in Trump's footsteps in case you know people aren't happy with the amount of baggage he might bring to the polling places. But uh, we really did not see them attack him about um, the potential criminal charges and obviously Pence aside. Um, But even Pence really has stressed in the last couple of days that he's not going to do personality attacks. And I wouldn't consider this a personality attack, um, but it it really came across that he's not going to make January 6th and the attempts to overturn the 2020 election a focal point in his campaign. And we have a debate coming up uh, this coming week. As, as I mentioned, it's on Wednesday. Uh, there, there have been um, eight, eight qualify for the uh, debate stage because of their you know, number of donors and polling and, and so forth. There's a rubric. I'm sure there's a magic formula right next to the Coke magic formula uh, somewhere. But um, we, we got a little... Uh, peek at some of the behind the scenes, um, you know, maneuvering. I want to play a clip uh, of a, a Ron DeSantis super PAC uh, that, that, uh, that we, we heard a little bit about, uh, and then we'll talk about something else that happened after that. But let's play that clip first, uh, which kind of goes after Mr. Trump. Why would I let these people take shots at me? We can't afford a nominee who is too weak to debate. These debates are just brutal. We need a nominee with stamina. A nominee who's sharp. Huh? Uh, uh. Republicans deserve a candidate who earns our vote. But I probably won't bother doing the debate. Not one who demands it. What happened to Donald Trump? John, uh, this is uh, Ron, Ron DeSantis' super PAC, uh, which has sort of you know been been blanketing the uh, at least select airwaves. Uh, we 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 don't think that Mr. Trump will show up necessarily to debate. He says that he won't sign a pledge that's required of every candidate to, to debate that would support the eventual nominee. But you know what 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 did you make of this clip uh, with DeSantis and and keep the keep the our spoiler for what comes next? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, on our last question, I wanted one thing about last night, Trump announcing about the press conference. I wanted to add uh, a rare thing appears to have happened here is that Trump listened to his attorneys and that doesn't seem to happen a lot. So I thought that was interesting Yeah. Uh, about the debate and the DeSantis clip. You know, I've been watching um, uh, Hard Knocks, the behind the scenes series that goes one NFL team in training camp every season. And this season, it's the New York Jets. And in the offseason, of course, they acquired um, future Hall of Fame quarterback Aaron Rodgers, formerly with the Green Bay Packers. And it, it occurs to me that Wednesday at the debate, it's it's going to be like watching preseason football with Aaron Rodgers in shorts and a T-shirt wearing a headset. Um, you know, you're, you're not you're seeing the Jets uh, with their new offense and everything. But Aaron Rodgers isn't on the field. And and, you know, Donald Trump is the Aaron Rodgers of Republican politics. And as of right now, he's not going to be there. Um, 
we'll see if he if he shows up at the next debate. I I, I guess DeSantis, um, you know, he's going to try to take down uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and and some others who are starting to poll a little higher. Uh, but we also know that that some of these candidates are going to to go after Trump himself. Of course, um, they have to do that. Some of them are running as very anti-Trump that he's unfit for office. So if if he sits back at at Bedminster and watches this, he's not going to like that very much. He's not going to like the criticism. Um, and I'm not ruling out that at the last minute uh, Trump's plane is airborne and, and he shows up. Um, as he always said during his presidency, we'll see. Uh, speaking of Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, we we have. Um, I I think I I was thinking that this sort of absurdity would would keep until later on in the in the campaign, but it's 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 right up there. Uh, we we've got this clip of him uh, sort of glomming on to a, an, a, an old Eminem classic song. Let's play that clip. Everybody's joking now. The clock's run out. Time's up. Over plow. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Oh, there goes gravity. Choke. He's so mad, but he won't. Uh, Amanda, you probably didn't see that coming. I th- I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Not entirely. No, no, no wonder. No wonder DeSantis's people want him to attack Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, as as John alluded to, and I was alluding to. Uh, it was this great story in the New York Times about the, uh, you know, sort of the debate strategy uh, the, for for DeSantis uh, being, you know, kind of uh, lifted for a second there before it was uh, shut. But, uh, you know, they got the New York Times got the story about, you know, that that despite what we heard from the ad, that DeSantis should defend Trump and go after Ramasamy apparently because of his rapping skills. <laughs> Um, or, or his religion. One, one of, one of those two. Um, yeah, no, I mean this trove of documents that I actually immediately just went to the underlying documents. Um, it's an excellent story. I went back and read it after, but, um, and they have a couple stories out coming from these, um, you know, obviously they had to do this because the super PACs are not allowed to coordinate with candidates. And so, you know, I guess you just put them in a corner of your website where you kind of like give them a map to get to. Um, and then that counts as a quote unquote public release, more air quotes for the listeners there. Um, and these memos were just kind of wild, like in the list of things, this super PAC um, that is, you know, explicitly supporting DeSantis's presidency. So that's the reason for its existence. Um, they're kind of giving him going through a template of what attacks from each of the other people on the stage might look like and what he should do. And yes, part of that is defend Trump. But one of the things that says, like, if, if, you know, DeSantis is, I forget if they called it his core values or his core identity. Um, but you know, they said if, if he is, a, if his core identity is attacked on, and then it had like a list of things after the very first one was being a liberal. And so, you know, a line in the New York times story was one risk of, of posting documents like this is that, they could be embarrassing. Um, I think that's kind of an embarrassing read of what's going to happen on the debate stage because I, I just don't foresee Governor DeSantis being attacked as liberal by, say, like Chris Christie. All right. There is lots more to talk about. Uh, we're going to talk about the one-year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act and what Democrats might be doing there and messaging and, of course, abortion rights. Uh, we'll get right back to that after a short break on the Bill Press Pod Reporters Roundtable. I'm Jason Dick, Editor-in-Chief at CQ Roll Call, sitting in for Bill alongside Sarah Wire, Amanda Becker, and John Bennett. 
And today's podcast brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A. Good members of LIUNA, over half a million strong. They're the backbone of the labor labor unions in this country, uh, doing construction work, uh, building new schools, roads and highways, water and sewer system treatment plants. Uh, In the energy field, building solar panels and wind turbines and old-fashioned pipelines, and in the public sector, some 70,000 members of the Laborers' Union, supporting working families, providing good jobs and good benefits for working families in America. We salute the members of LIUNA and their president, President Terry O'Sullivan. Thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we are back on the Bill Press Pod Reporters Roundtable. I'm Jason Dick, Editor-in-Chief at CQ Roll Call, sitting in for Bill, alongside Sarah Wire of the Los Angeles Times, Amanda Becker of 19th News, and John Bennett of CQ Roll Call. All right, let's let's talk about what everybody's talking about these days, and that's Bidenomics. Sarah, let's like this is the hot topic in Washington, right? That people poured into the White House for the one year anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act. There were Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, Muriel Bowser. It was just this hot topic, right? I mean, that's definitely what they want us all to be talking about and writing about and spending time on television talking about. Um, I I just don't know if if self-branding something is generally a good idea. Um, You know, you even had the, the president say this week that, you know, he kind of regrets naming it the Inflation Reduction Act because it really didn't have much to do with inflation and didn't affect it that dramatically. Um, but, you know, it, it was a substantial act when it comes to the American economy. It's just those bills never, they're never really obvious that it's having a direct effect on your life. And, you know, Biden and Kamala Harris are out there trying to explain it to as many voters as possible, but they're not getting a lot of traction to make us all talk about it because everyone's so pulled away talking about, you know, the newest indictment of former President Trump. 
And John, it almost reminds me of the, you know, the, the, the kind of weary decision, it seemed, that Barack Obama embraced eventually just to say, like, sure, this is Obamacare, call it Obamacare, which actually, in hindsight, years, years after the fact, after after Democrats took a beating uh, about the Affordable Care Act, uh, kind of turned out well for the Democrats. I mean, Obamacare is the law of the land. Uh, you know, uh, Republicans have tried to, for years, to uh, to get rid of it, to repeal it, to weaken it. Uh, and it, it only has become a bigger part of the landscape. But Joe Biden's only got a little over a year uh, to for his reelection campaign. Uh, and th- this is a lot to to bank on uh, for and to take on the road to places like Wisconsin, Arizona and, and so forth. Yeah, he just can't break through uh, on, on the economic message. And, uh, you know, to, to Sarah's point uh, on the self-branding, it, it it never works out well. And, you know, it, it opens up uh, wide open a door for Republicans to criticize him, you know, whenever there's a bad piece of economic data, you know, that gets out into the ether. Um, then it's it's Bidenomics fault. Bidenomics is failing. So, you know, you, it, you, it's easy to shoot yourself in the foot uh, in politics these days. And, you know, I, I was stunned that that President Biden admitted that he wished he had not named the Inflation Reduction Act, the Inflation Reduction Act. I thought, what another communications just just stumble by this White House and this president you know, I've, I've called it um, on another podcast I did recently. It's kind of the two left feet presidency as far as messaging goes. And, you know, I just thought Joe did it again. And again, just handing a gift to your opponents. And it's just amazing that, that this president does this and his, his team, they just do it over and over and over again. I mean, I think the media... You know, you can only write the same story so many times. And I think we've we've stopped writing the the poor messaging story because, you know, how many times can you write it? And Amanda, one on the flip side of this, too, is that, you know, the the economy is gradually getting better and people like basically say that they they don't believe that they don't the p- polling shows that the people are very pessimistic about the the economy except for their own personal economic situation i mean this this just seems a little a little bizarre um for you know like to to process you know like to to actually intellectualize like okay if people think that their personal situation is better but the overall economy is sour how does that work itself out in politics Honestly, in a way, that has been encouraging to me because I'm like the American electorate is showing empathy (laughs) for people they don't know, Um, which we haven't seen a lot of the past five or six years in our politics. But yeah, I mean, all that matters is what how voters think things are. It doesn't matter what the reality is in politics. So the economy could be going as strong as it ever has been. But if the average voter doesn't believe that to be true then in a way, it's just, it's not real. Um, And so, or at least in a political sense. And so, you know, there is this disconnect there. It's been going on for quite a while now. I I think that the administration has to address that um, and Biden's reelection team in order to kind of run on the economy at all uh, next year. 
early next year when kind of things really start to heat up. So, you know, I, I think that there's um, a messaging gap to close in order to kind of make that connection for the average voter. And I, I actually want to uh, stick with with you for just a second, just, you know, by din of uh, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, what what Amanda Becker is up to in her spare time these days, she is finishing a book on the post uh, Dobbs decision world on on abortion rights, and and again as as I alluded to in the in the opening statements, you know we every week it seems there is some sort of abortion related development in Ohio, your home state, Amanda. You know the the voters turn back an effort to. Uh, increase the threshold for amending the Constitution. This was widely seen as a, a rebuff of people trying to restrict abortion. Uh, this week, the Fifth Circuit, you know, uh, upheld a, a, a decision, a lower court's decision that restricted mifepristone shipping. Uh, it just we just keep getting these reminders as you're finishing your book. <laughs> this makes it difficult to finish the book. Yeah, right. right? When, when, when can I end it at this rate? Because <laughs> there's never like a day that doesn't have some major news. And and this also plays into in into Democrats' hands too, because this is their. I mean, this is their issue. They are associated with abortion rights, and the public largely uh, believes in some sort of abortion right. There is no very few people think that there should be absolutely be no abortion, you know, rights at all. Uh, that's absolutely correct. I mean, one of the points my book is making pretty early on, um, because to me it's so obvious, is that actually abortion is. Uh, something, as you said, that we agree on more than al almost any other issue in our country right now um, on some level. You know, people don't disagree about the specifics and some people aren't OK with it after, you know, like kind of that three month mark in pregnancy and they want to do kind of a 15 week cutoff. Um, but, you know, the average American, pretty much most of them are, in, you know, I'm talking like 65, 70 percent want some access to this facet of healthcare. And I already see messaging issues in terms of, you know, this is a White House that's, that says that the president is going to run for re-election on protecting abortion rights. This is not a strength um, for Biden in terms of how he talks about it. He doesn't like talking about it. It took him a year and a half, I think, after he was elected to even say the word abortion. Um, I don't know how you run on something that you're so uncomfortable talking about. There's also a lot of legitimate criticism from the uh, reproductive rights community that the administration could be doing a lot more to protect abortion access and that they're really kind of playing things safe. Um, Biden continues to talk about it pretty as of pretty recently as a divisive issue. And it's not actually divisive. And I think that he needs to start talking about it in that way if he plans on running on this because, it, you know, he's turning what should be a strength into a liability in some ways. And Sarah, we're going to see this continue to unfold because, you know, eventually the Justice Department uh, has appealed uh, this Fifth Circuit Court uh, ruling. It will end up in the Supreme Court. Uh, <laughs> so, it, again, we will be heading into an election year, or the, maybe the tail end of this year and the election year with this, you know, uh, awaiting the Supreme Court's ruling on another abortion related case. Yeah, and then the Fifth Circuit's decision is on hold until the Supreme Court um, has a chance to look at it. But, you know, I, I cannot imagine that this is what Republicans wanted voters to be thinking about headed into the primaries or even headed into the, the general election come this summer if the Supreme Court decides to hear it in the second half of the term. Um, 
And I don't think this might be the only uh, abortion-related case that, like you said, it, it's it's become almost a daily occurrence that there's some new development. And it's kind of become a kitchen table issue more than I think anyone truly expected. Yeah. I'm so happy you used that phrase, Sarah. I literally just finished a chapter about how abortion is a kitchen table issue. <laughs> kitchen table issue. And can I just say, even from a medical standpoint, if, let's say they allow this goes to the Supreme Court and they allow it to stand. If you talk to doctors, um, they actually don't need the drug that is um, in this case to to do medication abortions. It's the easiest and the most comfortable way to do them. But there are other ways. And so that just goes to show, I mean, the people bringing these cases, and this was a, a case designed by the Alliance Defending Freedom, um, I think I would have to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure that they're the group behind this that got it all going. Um, they're not doctors. And so when you talk to healthcare providers, they already know other ways around this. Um, and they are actually staying ahead of some of this in terms of medical technology. One last uh, ab abortion sort of news item, too, that came out this week, John, was that uh, uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, an independent, uh, she her seat is up for uh, the next year. We don't know her intentions yet, but she inserted herself uh, in a, an abortion-related standoff between her colleague, Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, who has put uh, a hold on senior military promotions, which is why we have uh, three acting Joint Chiefs of Staff now uh, in, in in the upper reaches of the military and, and President Biden and saying, you know, can we just find a middle ground? But really, like... We, what we know, John, is that like the Senate could process these nominations, but that would also diffuse the situation. I mean, to, if to me, if I'm Chuck Schumer, I want to keep this in the public mind. I want a foil like Tuberville. Uh, what was your take when you heard about the the cinema news? Yeah, you read my mind. What I was going to say here is um, to Amanda's point. You know, I don't think the abortion issue would would be a a huge determining factor in Donald Trump. Joe Biden to uh, the rematch that nobody seems to want, but it will matter a lot. The issue will matter a lot in congressional races. We saw that uh, in, in the last midterms, there was no red wave. There was no big Republican wave. They were supposed to pick up all these seats in the house. They were supposed to flip the Senate and the abortion issue uh, after Roe was knocked down by the Supreme court mattered a lot, according to exit polling and you know, that's why Schumer wants to keep this going. That's why he's, uh, to your point, Jason, that's why he's not, um, you know, moving the the many Senate levers and maneuvers that he could to, to move these promotion, military promotions and nominations, because he knows this is a good issue for for his candidates. And what looked like, you know, we've been talking, our colleague Nathan Gonzalez, our elections analyst, you know, this time last year, this, the 2024 Senate map, you know, it was it was supposed to, to be uh, another red wave. This was supposed to be an easy um, an easy cycle for Republicans to, to take the majority in the Senate. Well, not so fast. Uh, this looks pretty competitive. And that's why Schumer and, and that's why he wants to keep this uh, in the headlines, because he knows this is a winning issue for his candidates. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if somehow the Democrats, no matter what happens at the top of the ticket, um, you know, if we're sitting here in in a year and a half and and Schumer has somehow kept his gavel. 
We covered a lot today. Uh, we could go on, and and we often do, but uh, we're going to get to the last part of the of this uh, reporters roundtable uh, podcast, which is one of my favorites. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm Jason Dick, editor in chief at CQ Roll Call, sitting in for Bill alongside Sarah Wire, Amanda Becker, and John Bennett. It is time for your favorite story of the week. This is something that does not have to be political, uh, but just something that caught your eye. There was a lot of news, but uh, we we spend a lot of time. Uh, reading our own uh, publications and our, our our publications that are our uh, rivals, uh, and also just we spend a lot of time reading. Period. Uh, Amanda, uh, as as the person back in the fold uh, in in, uh, in in Washington, what was your favorite story of the week? Jason, you know when I was choosing something that I wanted to talk about for this, I thought should I depart from my long held reporters roundtable tradition of either sharing the most depressing story or <laughs> something about the Real Housewives franchise. Um, and I decided, no, I, I will stick with the spirit I've always brought to this. So I chose a story in time this week that, not joking, at least a dozen people sent to me the minute it published. Um, the headline is, she wasn't able to get an abortion. Now she's a mom. Soon she'll start seventh grade. And this is a story about a 12-year-old in Mississippi who was playing outside last year when she was 12, and now she's now 13. Um, and she was raped. And, you know, no one expected a 12-year-old to be pregnant, and so they didn't know for a while. By the Mississippi has a full abortion ban. Um, that's the state that brought the case that overturned Roe. Um, and by the time they get her to the doctor, it was pretty far, far along and they didn't have the resources to take her out of state. And so this is a, they had to pull her out of school. Um, she's starting the school year remotely, um, because they don't even want anyone to know that this is, has happened. Um, cause it's just been such a trauma for this child. So I just, I love people focused reporting that is outside of DC and this story by Charlotte Alter is uh, hard to read, but something that I don't think you want to miss. John, how about you? Well, uh, speaking of keeping with tradition, uh, Bill always gets a kick that I usually bring sports to this segment. And Bill, wherever you are, uh, this one's for you. I want to send a shout out to the Big 12, the college football conference that um, a year ago, all the experts and screaming screaming analysts on ESPN were telling us was uh, going to go extinct, that they were going to go out of business. And, well, funny thing happened. Uh, the Big 12 is now going to be the third most important uh, college football conference and probably uh, the second most important in both men's and women's basketball. They have added Central Florida, uh, BYU, um, Cincinnati, Houston, and they... Um, have raided what used to be the Pac-12 along with the Big Ten. Uh, they've added um, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Utah, and some others. And this is going to be a fun conference for college football fans like myself. Now, I don't think the Big 12 is going to win the national title, but there will be um, there will be NBA theses, theses? Uh, theses. Written, yeah, written about how the Big 12 did this from a business standpoint and how they how they reinvented. Uh, a conference, like, like I said, that was supposed to go away, and now it'll be the Pac-12. I guess that's what they called themselves at the end. The Pac-12 will go away. So 
Um, I've been watching that closely. Now, this will be terrible for all the other sports, the non-revenue generating sports, but it, it, it should produce this college football realignment. It's going to produce uh, better matchups every week. You know, you're going to get to see uh, big teams play each other. The, the powers play each other instead of, you know, Clemson at Virginia every year. Uh, but it won't be good for the volleyball team and the baseball team. Uh, so college athletics has to sort that out. Um, but right now, um, I think this, uh, this super conference, the Big 12, it's going to be a lot of fun. And Sarah, how about you? Uh, I really struggled this week because there was so much good reporting out there. And I'm really grateful that Amanda brought up that Time Magazine piece because I wanted to make sure that got mentioned. Um, I'm going to go the depressing route a little bit, but a little (laughs) uplift as well. Um, I've been watching really closely the uh, police seizure in Marion County, uh, Kansas, of Mm -hmm. the newspaper there, um, which the district attorney did order them to return all of the equipment late last night. Um, but amidst all of this, the one of the journalists for the record, uh, Joanne Meyer, died less than 24 hours after the raid. Um, you know, elderly woman, but perfectly healthy. And her family says just the stress that this put on her contributed to her death. Uh, but her obituary is one of those obituaries where it makes you want to be a better person. And reading through it, I mean, none of us should be, you know, living our lives for the obituary, but just hearing how she was a pillar in the community and people came to her with their problems and she did what she could to save them. Um, She seems like the kind of gruff old editor that I love and am drawn to. And, uh, you know, I, I hate that I learned about her after she died, but I'm so grateful that they wrote this obituary and I got to read it. I hope other people do as well. Yeah, it, it's it is a great read, and and the story itself is just a a, a banger, you know, of of a raid on this small weekly uh, newspaper that you know I think it, they tripled their subscription, their circulation, just because people were you know subscribing to uh, you know out of uh, you know solidarity with them. Um, so it, it it's it's a great it's a great story, although as you said with a sad ending. Um, so my uh, my story th- this is a little this is a little weird one, but it is in keeping also with uh, Bill's uh, bemusement at my choices because it's typically uh, centered around something movies. It's not it's not really a movie story, uh, but it is about the etymology of a word. Uh, the, uh, the The Ringer wrote this story. Uh, they, they published the story a little while ago. This is not of last week. It was, it was or this week, but it was the, the last week about the etymology of the word jerk. And they used the 1979 Steve Martin movie, The Jerk, as the, the push off point for it about when did the, the word jerk cease being uh, a, a, a synonym for somebody who's dumb? And when did it become basically a, a jerk that becomes a more negative connotation of somebody who's mean spirited uh, and and which is the more modern uh, you know, meaning of it. And it's fascinating because it's just, you know, like the, the word jerk, you know, the, the, as far as they can tell, dates to the 1930s. Uh, the, the, there's a, a great back and forth uh, in the, in the uh, story between Steve Martin and Carl Reiner, the director of The Jerk, about like the, the title and what, what that means. It, about, it talks about how people's memories of what, how they define 
uh, like words and, and what they how they use words change uh, as as words evolve. Uh, it's basically a nerd story custom made for nerds like me, uh, who also <laughs> happens to be a former I happen to be any former English teacher, too. So I'm, I'm, I'm on my I'm, I'm, I'm hearkening back to my roots in teaching uh, in this story in the ringer about the etymology of the word jerk <laughs> i was i was gonna tease you jason about being a nerd but i you did it for me so i guess I don't <laughs> yes it, it, it at a certain point it's just piling on right <laughs> uh, that's gonna be gonna do it for this edition of the bill press pod reporters roundtable our thanks to you for listening and to amanda becker washington correspondent for the 19th news sarah wire justice department national security reporter for the los angeles times and my colleague at cq roll call john bennett he's editor at large I'm Jason Dick, Editor-in-Chief at CQ Roll Call, sitting in for Bill. Next Tuesday, Bill will be back with an interview with Washington Post political columnist Dana Milbank, who has a few choice thoughts about Trump, the GOP, and the sorry state of our politics. Thanks again for listening to the Bill Press Pod Reporters Roundtable, and have a great weekend. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.